respond by saying, thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. <clears throat> Friends, we are continuing our journey um, into Psalm 23. Each week, uh, we have been looking at one uh, particular verse uh, in kind of meditating as to what that verse means uh, for us and looking at the implications. Last week, we discussed uh, what it means for God to be our shepherd and to lead us to pastures, to lead us to green pastures. And green pastures might not look like the way we would have imagined, uh, but yet God leads us to green pasture. And last Sunday was the day of Pentecost, and we were reminded that the Spirit of God is there with us each and every single day. And that we don't have to feel anxious. When we feel like we are lost, the Spirit of God is there with us. He promised us not to leave us as orphans, but He will guide us to green pastures. Today, our scripture um, that we are going to be focusing on uh, reads this way. He restores my soul, and He leads me in the paths of righteousness. This morning, I'm wondering, what does the word restore mean for us? What comes to your mind when you think about the word restore? When we find the word restore here, what, what, come, what picture comes to mind? Last week, remember, we were talking about um, the region of Israel. We said that this place is in the Middle East. Uh, that means it's really hot. Uh, it's not as green and lush as we would have imagined. What does the word restore mean in that context? If you were a sheep and you were following the shepherd, what does restore mean to you? What does that mean to you? What? Fill my cup with water. You read my notes. You know, <laughs> you really did. <laughs> Fill my cup with water, right? When you think about it, like, you know, if you're out there, out in the uh, hot sun, and you were sitting outside, you were working in the yard all day, and you needed to take a break, you're sweaty, you're exhausted, and you sit and you pick up a glass of cold water filled with ice, and you start to drink it. And a light breeze comes over you, and you say, ah, oh, right? Is that what restore means to us? That the shepherd is taking these sheep all through the pasture. He brings them to an area and they all sit and relax. Is that what it means? Is that what it means to feel like you're fulfilled? Or is that more uh, to that? When I think about the word restore, I'm reminded of cars. These individuals uh, do these restorations for these cars. Um, they go into the junkyard and they pick one car up and they work on it. They spend time and money um, on, uh, on making this car that was abandoned uh, completely out of shape into something beautiful. I want to show you this one minute video <clears throat> that's there. Um, this is how the car uh, was abandoned in this lot. So go ahead. Pretty beat up, right?
This morning I was showing this video and someone yelled, that looks like my car. <laughs> I hope none of you can say that. <laughs> right? So when I watched this video, one of the things that stood out to me uh, was how much junk was inside the car. The car was filled with stuff. There was dirt and debris that's there. Uh, if you have some time this week and you are looking to do something while you're waiting for your doctor's appointment or on the sidelines before a soccer game starts, like look up a YouTube video on car restoration. There's some, some pretty amazing ones that are out there. Now, in, um, for this particular video, I saw the mechanic who was working on this car. He actually got a shovel out uh, near the seat where you saw all the springs that were there. He got a shovel out and he started to shove things out. <laughs> to take things out of there, took all the debris out in order for the car to be restored. And I'm wondering if, if maybe the psalmist is referring to that as well, that he restores my soul. What would that mean for us? For the shepherd to restore my soul and your soul, does it mean the, the shepherd needs to show up with a shovel and start throwing stuff out of us? Pull out all the debris needs to be removed out. See, this word, this debris, can be called sin. And the reason I'm saying this debris can be sin that is in our hearts is because when you read another psalm, uh, Psalm 51, when you read that psalm, this word restore shows up again. This word restore shows up again. And I'm reminded of this psalm. And this is what the psalmist said in Psalm 51:10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Hear this word, verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. We hear this word again. We restore the joy of salvation. The context of these two psalms are very different. But the person that's attributed to writing Psalm 51 and Psalm 23 is King David. And then here's the context uh, as to why King David is writing this psalm and saying, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me, but restore in me the joy of your salvation. See, the reason David is writing this psalm, this uh, is we need to look at the backstory as to why he ended up writing these words. As to why he wants the shepherd to clean out the junk that is in his soul. The story comes to us from uh, Samuel 2, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Here King David is king and it starts out this way. When kings went to war, David stayed back. When kings went to war, David stayed back. He didn't go and do what he was supposed to. But rather he was on the rooftop looking around, and there he saw a beautiful woman. He saw a woman named Bathsheba from that rooftop. And what he did is he broke the 10th commandment in that moment where he desired that which was not his. David desired that which did not belong to him. 
and he broke the 10th commandment. Thou shall not covet. But the thing, when he broke that commandment, it just didn't stop there. He acted on it. He commits adultery with Bathsheba. Bathsheba has a husband as well. And he commits adultery. He broke the seventh commandment in that moment. And now, usually when you sin, when you break a commandment, our usual tendency is to cover it up. We want to find ways to cover it up so that no one finds out. And that is exactly what David did. He tries to figure out who this woman's husband was. And he finds out that his, uh, this woman's husband, Uriah, he's actually in battle with the army. So he invites him back to come to the palace. And when he comes back, he winds him and dines him and he takes good care of him. And he tells him, go back to your wife. Go be with your wife. But Uriah was a committed soldier. And he actually sleeps in the palace along with the other soldiers because he knew that they were at battle, that he couldn't be home with his wife. And so now this has to go to another sin, right? His plan didn't work. So he needs to find ways to figure out what to do. So David comes up with this idea. He tells, he writes a letter to his general who's, who's doing the battle, who's in charge of the battle. He says, when Uriah comes to you, take him into the heat of the battle. And when the right time comes, pull all the other soldiers behind and leave Uriah alone. That way he's killed in battle. And that's what he does. David thinks that the three commandments that he broke, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill. He broke all these three things and he thought he got away with it. He thought he got away with it, that everything was beautiful and wonderful, that he can live through it. But it didn't happen that way. There was a man named, a prophet named Nathan, who came and convicted and told King David about his sin. And in that moment, David recognizes that he has sinned. And he cries out to God. Create in me a clean heart. He cries out to the shepherd. And says, create in me a clean heart. Clean me. Cleanse me from my sin. Take out the debris. The sin that is within me. And restore to me. The joy of salvation. Friends, in order for us to be restored, maybe we are called to confess our sins before God. I want to invite you to pray like David. If there is sin in your life, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Clean me. Cleanse me. Make me new. Restore the joy of salvation. Let me ask this question again. What does the word restore mean again? Is it just being refreshed by water on a sunny day? Is it just getting rid of our sin and confessing before God? Or is there more to this? Let me go back to the analogy that I kind of started with about the car. The car that I showed you earlier, this car was abandoned. 
this car was abandoned in a junkyard. The, the mirrors were all broken up. And the elements, the sun, rain, snow, everything beat up on this car. Everything got beat up. And I'm wondering, what does restore mean for those who are abandoned? For those who are ignored? When life beats down on you, what does the word restore mean? See, when I think about the word restore in that context, I'm reminded of a story in the Bible that comes to us from Genesis chapter 13. The story is about Joseph. There's actually a Broadway play done about this. Joseph, um, he and his siblings, he had 12 brothers. Uh, he was born to a man named Jacob. And later his name was changed to Israel. All the tribes of Israel are named after the sons of Jacob or Israel. So I, in my opinion, I think Joseph was one of those annoying kid. He was that annoying know-it-all kid. Have you ever encountered one of those? Y'all, yes, no, you've never lived in middle school, I guess. Anyway, right, he was that annoying kid. He had dreams, and he was about to boast himself, and he told his brothers as to that everybody is going to bow down to him, that how he was great and wonderful, and all this, and his brothers had enough of him. And then they kind of took it to another level. What they did was they threw him in a pit and abandoned him. They were hoping that some way he would die. That was their hope. They were hoping that he would die in that pit. They abandoned him. They left him alone. And not only that, then they've decided, you know what? Why don't we make some money off of him? And so just letting him die. So what he, they did is they were traders who were walking past. And they sold him as a slave. And those traders took him to a land named Egypt. To a country named Egypt. And there those traders again sold him. They didn't want to keep him. And they sold him. They sold him to a man named Potiphar. Who was an official in the... Um, uh, in Egypt. And he was doing well there. He was living, he was abandoned, sold twice, and yet he continued to do well. And as he was living in Potiphar's house, uh, his wife uh, started to tempt him to have an affair with him, but Joseph resisted the temptation. He didn't want to fall into that temptation like David did. He wanted to resist the temptation. So he said no. And then one day it got so bad that he had to run away from the situation. And so he ran away from Potiphar's house. And here the wife actually accused him of doing harm. So think about this guy, right? He's abandoned by his brothers, sold as a slave, then resold. He's doing the right thing by saying no to a temptation runs away, and he's accused of actually doing wrong, and he's thrown in prison. He's thrown in prison. He's thrown in prison for doing the right thing.
And I believe God started to restore him in the prison. God started to begin his work of restoration in Joseph's life in the prison, even though despite the fact that he was abandoned, despite the fact that he was sold as a slave twice, despite the fight, uh, despite everything, God started to work with him. He interprets a few dreams with those who were other fellow prisoners, and none of them help him, and they all go away. And then one day, Pharaoh has a dream, and none of the wise counselors that were around Pharaoh could figure out what this dream was about. And they were trying to figure it out, and no one knew what it was. And then one day, this guy said, I know a guy in prison. He's to interpret dreams. Maybe we should go and talk to that guy. Maybe he can help Pharaoh. The most powerful man in the world asked Joseph to come and help him. And Joseph continues to serve Pharaoh. He begins to help Pharaoh. And slowly, Joseph rises within the ranks in that land. He gets better and he gets more power, more responsibility to a point where he is the next in charge to Pharaoh. That is how high he rose. See, the thing about when God starts to do restoration is, friends, you cannot figure out the finished product. When you look at how it started and how it ended, you are just shocked that the finished product is this beautiful and this amazing. If you want to play that video, uh, Matt, <clears throat> this is the finished product of that car that was pulled out of the junkyard. <clears throat> you can't recognize it. That is the finished product. That is how it looks like. And in Joseph's life, something similar happened. See, his brothers who abandoned him, who enslaved him, who threw him in a pit and got, tried to got, get rid of him, these brothers were in need of food. And so oh, they came to Egypt. And they actually meet Joseph. They meet Joseph, and they can't recognize him. They can't figure out that it was actually his brother who was the man in power in Egypt. See, friends, that is the beauty of God's restoration. When we feel like the world has abandoned us and the world has enslaved us and thrown us away and put us away, and when God begins to do a work in you, you look like nothing how it got all started. One of the favorite things uh, of this story, what Joseph tells his brother is this. What you meant for evil, God turned it to good. See, that is the power of God's restoration. Friends, this morning, if you are feeling like you are abandoned, thrown away, discarded, believe that the God we worship is in the process of restoration, that God will bring something beautiful in your life. This is the promise that God gives us, that he's going to restore each one of us. Let us be reminded 
of this. The God we worship is the God who restores. The God we worship makes things beautiful. He restores us. He transforms us completely. And here is the promise for each and every single one of us. But then he does something. Then he does something else. We read in Psalms 23, he leads me in the paths of righteousness. Restoration. And then he leads you in the paths of righteousness. If you call Mount Hope your home, uh, you've heard me say this over and over again, and I will say it again. The God we worship is holy, and he calls us to be holy. Each and every one of us. He calls us to be holy. It means set apart. Friends, this morning, you and I are called to be set apart. We are called to be different. The God who restores us is holy, and he wants each one of us to be holy. Well, how do our actions look like? What does our thought life look like? Are you following the shepherd in the way you're living your life? How are you living when no one else is looking? Are you in the path of righteousness? Whenever we come to the communion table, we ask ourselves to confess our sins before God because we believe that the God who forgives us, when we confess, all we need to do is say, God, I am sorry, and God will forgive us of our sins. And friends, this morning, I want to invite us as we come to this table that we would seek forgiveness and we would say to God, help me to walk in the paths of your righteousness. Help me not to wander away. This is what the shepherd does for us. This is the promise. Are you excited? You all need to say yes. And all this is good. The past three weeks, we've been looking at these beautiful, beautiful promises as to what the shepherd is doing for us. My question to us is, but why is the shepherd doing all this? Why? What's the, what's the point? What's the purpose of all these promises? The first week, Pastor Cindy preached about uh, Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd, my shepherd, your shepherd. It's not somebody else's shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And then you lack nothing. Each one of us lacks nothing. That is the promise that is given to you. It is personal. Last week, we talked about going through green pastures where God will sustain us, that the Spirit of God is always there for us. That is an incredible promise. And today we are looking at the fact that God restores us. He forgives us of our sins. He cleans out the junk that is in our souls. He restores those who feel abandoned and makes something so beautiful. He makes us whole. He leads us in the paths of righteousness. But why? Why is God doing all these things? Why? What is the point? I want you to sit with that for a second. What is the point of all this? Why? 
I think the answer can be found in verse 3 of Psalm 23. We read at the tail end of it. For his namesake. All this is done for his namesake. The reason for the restoration looks so beautiful is not for everyone to look at the car and say, oh my gosh, look how beautiful and how amazing it is. It was never about the car. When our sins are forgiven, when we are restored, it's not about us. It was never about the finished product. But it was about the one who restores. It is about the one who restores. For his namesake. Friends, all this is done so that God is glorified. See, I'm reminded of uh, something that Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they see, may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Friends, our actions, the way we act, our character needs to reflect the shepherd that we are following so that those who look at us can glorify the God in heaven. So that glorify the God who is our shepherd. That is the purpose of all these promises so that those around us would glorify the one who restores. Glorify the shepherd. This morning I want to invite us into a time of prayer. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. God, we ask that you would forgive us. We ask that you would clean us. God, for all of us who feel abandoned, God, may, your, may you continue to restore our souls. God, we ask for strength to walk in the holy walk so that we may walk in paths of righteousness. God, we ask that you would be glorified through all that we do. We ask these things in your name. Amen.